have started our New Year series, uh, which is called Developing a Culture of Courage. We want to help you this year develop a culture of courage. We believe it's something that God is calling us to. We believe it's something that God is speaking into our lives. It's something that He is, is, is imparting through His Holy Spirit to each of us, where we, where we are developing this culture of knowing who we are in Jesus, having the courage to believe, the courage to pray, the courage to come alive and be all that God has intended for us to be. And uh, last week we kicked off the series, and we just love that scripture that says that the righteous are bold as lions. And we know that our righteousness is not of ourselves. We're not righteous because we're religious enough, because we've worked hard enough, because we've done enough. We are righteous because Jesus has made us righteous by the gift of His grace. And as a result of that, we have this confidence. Therefore, it says in 2 Corinthians, because we have this hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. We walk into the future with an understanding that our God is with us, that He is present, that He is able, that He has called us, and that His promises are true. And we are so um, excited about the fact that, that we don't need to find our confidence in ourselves. If you're finding your confidence in yourself, very soon you'll have a moment like I did that day in Woolworths where somebody asks you, are you choking because you're putting on a jacket? And, uh, and the only way that you can really have confidence in your own strength um, is if, you if you're either disillusioned. If you do, if you are trying to find confidence and hope and courage in the things that you're able to do, we mentioned this last week, you can only be one of two things. You're either going to be disillusioned pretty quickly or delusional. You can only be one of those two things. If your confidence is in your own strength, you're, own, you're either disillusioned right now or completely dis, uh, delusional. And uh, that's why the Scripture says that our sufficiency, our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but it is in Christ. It's not who we are, but who we are in Christ today. It's not who you are or who you used to be or what you've done or what your shortcomings are or what your failings are or what your imperfections are. It's who you are in Christ, and the Word declares that you are righteous. You're a child of God. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're set aside for use by God, and uh, we develop this courage, and therefore, the very first thing that we need to do if we're going to develop a culture of courage is to develop this, co this courage to believe, to believe in our identity, to believe that the Word of God is true, to believe that we are who God says we are, and we can be who God says we are called to be. As a church, we want to have the courage to worship God and to serve God and to answer God and to walk with God beyond our personal preference. This is when it becomes real. This is when the rubber hits the road because it's great to, to uh, you know, have a philosophy or to, to talk in general about theology and yes, we put God first and yes, we, we, we follow God and yes, our lives are surrendered to Him. But when we actually have to begin to put action behind our belief and when we actually have to go beyond our own personal preferences and our own comfort and the things that we feel that we want in order to be everything that God has called us to be, this is when it becomes more difficult. And we are so aware that it's so easy for us to become consumers, so easy for us to come to church for what we can get rather than for what we can give. And if that is your experience, if that is your intention, if you come to church for what you can get, if you're a receiver or a taker, you will never be satisfied with church. You will always have grievances. You'll always be criticizing because you're never going to experience the full experience. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
And so only when you start giving of yourself, only when you start sacrificing of yourself, do you actually begin to experience the fullness of all that God has called and caused church to be. And so we, we are asking people and we are praying um, that we can create the, a kind of community that doesn't treat church like a takeaway joint or like a, you know, a drive-through. So many people, they just drive through on a Sunday and the, the window opens up and they make their order and it better not be too hot or too cold or uh, you know, too much or too little and they want to ask for extra fries and extra tomato sauce and some ice cream on the side. And, 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 and if we have that kind of approach to church and to the call of God in our lives, we are never going to become all that God intends for us to be. If we make comfort our highest end, we're going to create a consumer-based Christianity rather than Christ followers, rather than people that are saying, Lord, my life is yours. I'm surrendered to you. I'm surrendered to your will. And it's a really sad thing that we don't even realize how much we've allowed our consumeristic culture to impact our approach to church, where church is all about us. You know, we should change that song, It's All About You, you know, It's All About You, Jesus. Um, for those of you, that's maybe a little bit of a throwback. For those of you that remember that song, like we should change that to It's All About Me. Because for a lot of people, when they're worshiping, it's all about them. It's all about what they want. It's all about their preferences. It's all about, you know, it's too hot in here, or the music's too loud, or it's too soft, or not that song again. And, and it's all about you. Whereas actually, actually, we're worshiping God. We're actually worshiping God. We're not worshiping ourselves. And we can so easily make ourselves the center of our faith rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We, uh, we came across, in fact, Joe is our, uh, our, our, I would call him our internet researcher, our meme developer. Um, and uh, for those of you that know Joe, he is constantly sharing via his social media platforms all kinds of great information um, some of it which will enrich your life, most of which will not enrich your life. Um, but he shared this with me last Sunday, and I thought it was so applicable to what we're saying. Um, so let's just go ahead, let's get the sound ready on the board there, and let's go ahead and watch this for a moment. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance.
All right, deep down, some of you are asking, when is it coming out? Where can I buy one? Can I order it online? And that's exactly the problem is that we've created this church that is just becoming more and more and more about us and our preferences rather than understanding that we're a part of something sacred here. We're a part of something holy here. When we stand together as God's people redeemed by His blood and we face-to-face worship and connect with our God and our Creator and our King, that is something to behold. That is something to to be a part of. That is something to, to hold in reverence not something to be treated lightly according to our own personal preferences. And so as a church and as a leadership, we are uh, no longer asking ourselves the question, what do people want from church? And we're moving more and more towards asking us, what does Jesus want for our church? What does Jesus want for our church? And, uh, and we believe that God is going to take us into all of these things this year. And to this end, He has commanded us, and this is um, a well-known verse, but a verse that we are basing this series on in Joshua 1 verse 9. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, you can turn to Joshua chapter 1, the first chapter of Joshua, and verse 9. And it simply says this. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong, and courageous. This is a command that comes from God. He commands us to be strong. He commands us to be courageous. He says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's a reason why we have courage. There's a reason why we can be strong, and that is because God's presence is with us. That is because His promises are true, and that is because He has a great calling for our lives. And so we want to answer that calling. We want to be strong. We want to develop a culture of courage here at Anchor Church and take God at His word and live it out and live it out. Live out all the the things that God has called us to do. Run our race with confidence and with faithfulness. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us this morning, and uh, we're going to go to the next part of the series. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that even as we sit in this building, Lord, that we can know that you are with us. We can know, Father, that your heart is for us. We can know, Lord, that you are, 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 are the one that is calling us forward and leading us every step of the way. We thank you, God, that we have this constant companion, the Holy Spirit that is in us, Thank you, God, that we can understand our identity and have the courage to believe in all that you've declared over our lives, all the promises of God being yes and amen. We thank you, Lord God, that this morning you increase our faith, increase our capacity, increase our our kingdom vision this morning, Lord. And, uh, And we thank you, Father, that we can receive these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen, amen. So, we want the courage to believe, and we spoke about that, the courage to believe. But what I realized in, in running through these verses and these scriptures is that there is a spin-off to faith. There is a spin-off to the courage. When you, when you really begin to believe, there's something that happens. There's a side effect that occurs. And, um, and I asked myself that question, like, what happens when you truly believe? What happens when you truly come to the end of yourself? What is the result and the answer is, you pray. This is the spin-off. This is the side effect. If you really begin to believe in who Jesus is and in who you are in Christ and in how present God is, the next step from believing is praying. It's just a natural flow from one to the other. And so this morning, I want to share a message with you entitled, Courage to Pray. Courage to Pray. 
the moment I mentioned that, that it's one of those, if you could pick a virtual reality church and pick a sermon, how many of you would pick a sermon on prayer? Very few of you, some of you, thanks, none of would pick it, but, but, but very few of us would actually go, teach me about prayer. It's one of those things that we kind of avoid a little bit. We know it's in the Bible. We know it's right. We know Jesus did it. We know the importance of it. If somebody asked us, we would tell them it is, it is of utmost importance, but is it reflected in our lives? Is it reflected in how we live? Is it reflected in our, our daily life? To be clear, I'm not speaking about religious-sounding activity. I'm not talking about doing a Christian duty. I'm talking about when deep, as the Scriptures say, cries out unto deep. When you get to that place where, where you cry out to God and, and, and those, those moments where you fall at the side of your bed and, and you have this divine conversation with your Creator where there is a mingling of souls between you and God and, and, and you are, are, are caught up in His presence. We are in His presence. We don't need to get into His presence. We live there. But there's a moment where we become so aware of His presence and we begin to really speak and converse and hear from our Creator. True prayer, authentic prayer, a divine conversation that we have where all pretense is stripped away and you bear your soul before God. And for many of us, this is not our everyday experience. For many of us, we don't have the courage to pray. For many of us, we only pray when we really have to pray. We only pray when things get really, really bad, when things are really, really difficult. Then all of a sudden, we're all prayer warriors, Right? I remember one time they broke into my house and they stole a bunch of stuff and I think I arrived while they were in the house and so while I was standing outside actually having a conversation uh, with my cousin who was there with me, um, I think they went out the back door and locked the door but took my keys with. So, you know, that just kind of messes with your mind a little bit when somebody's been in your house, taken your stuff, you interrupted them, so they took the keys. It's like, are they going to come back later? Are they going to murder me? Like, what is going to happen in the future? And so you kind of begin to feel, so we changed all the locks and all that, but we're like, are they coming back? And I remember one night I had a dream, and in my dream, I think I heard the back door slam. But it was so real that I woke up thinking, they're in. The door has just slammed, they're in, and I'm moments away from being face-to-face with whoever stole my stuff. And um, you have never seen a quicker prayer meeting in your life. My... My bedroom door was locked, and I got up, and I was up and down. I was praying like if there was anybody in the house, they would have got saved, healed, delivered, set free, you know, convicted, on fire, moved overseas, become a missionary, um, just as a result of how instant that prayer meeting was. But for a lot of us, it takes a moment of crisis like that before we actually begin to connect with our Savior. And it seems so crazy. I had this moment when I was um, on holiday, and I was... I was in the waves and the ocean and the current was quite strong and for a moment, you know, I, I felt at the mercy of the waves and I felt the, you know, there's just the pull of the current and, and how helpless I really would be if the ocean had to sweep me out. And then for an instant, I just remembered that I have a direct connection with the one who controls the waves, with the one who, who, who created the waters, with the one who, who sends the currents on their way. And we forget that. If we only remembered, what would our prayer life be? I'm not talking about scheduling a religious appointment. I'm talking about when you realize that you have a divine connection and a direct access, that we can boldly go before the throne of grace. How much more would we pray? How much more would we, can, would we trust? How much more would we believe? How much more would we ask if we just understood this? The truth is that in general everyday life, we are convinced that we don't need God. 
Deep down in our hearts, we still believe that we don't need God. And you might say, well, that's not true for me. I know that I need God. I know that I need Him, and, uh, and, and you know, I believe that I need Him. But if I asked you the question, have you prayed today? And did you pray yesterday? And did you pray the day before? Many of us would answer no, or just a little bit, or maybe. And this belies the state of our true belief. Because if you knew that you couldn't take on that day, that you couldn't become who God calls you to be, that you couldn't experience the fullness of the life that God has for you without prayer, then you would be praying, then we would be praying much more. And so I believe that as a church, we need to develop the culture to pray, the culture to ask, the culture to trust, the culture to go beyond ourselves, the culture to believe for things bigger than what we can do in our own strength. In general, we do it in our own, and then pray only when we realize that we're out of our depth. How many of you pray while swimming in the ocean? Maybe, maybe every now and again. But if a shark showed up and you saw the fins you know, coming around you, how many of you know you'd be walking on water? <laughs> Joe sent me a message again. Joe's featuring in this message today. But, but uh, he sent me a message when we came across, Lee and I were we're standing in the river and, and, a, and a, an otter came and like swam around us and was like nibbling at our toes and stuff. And Joe said, if it was him, it, people would think Jesus was back in black because he would be walking on the water. <laughs> How many of you know that if a shark showed up, you'd be walking on water? In prayer, on fire for the Lord, never so connected to your Savior, we'd have revival. But a side effect, a spin-off of becoming more dependent upon Jesus is that we simply pray like never before. So the more we believe that we need Him, the more we depend on His grace and His goodness, the more we will find that we'll just be praying more because we'll be trusting more, we'll be asking more. Many of us have made New Year's resolutions. How many of you, some of them are still standing? Some of your New Year's re resolutions? How many of you put down, go to gym four times a week? I'm telling you, there are some of you here that are too ashamed to put up your hands because you haven't even been to gym four times this month, okay? So many people, four times a week. Some of you have just carried your resolutions over from 2015. That's still the same ones. You're like, maybe this is my year. Maybe this year I'll get it. And, um, and, and, but if, if we had the courage to believe, I was thinking about this, maybe rather than writing down all the things that we hope to do and all the things that we hope to achieve, perhaps we would start writing down all the things that we are trusting God for. What if we made a prayer list rather than a list of resolutions? What if we started believing and praying and asking rather than just trying to do everything in our own strength? How much different would our lives look? How different would the result of our lives be? Rather than writing down how many times you want to visit the gym or, or, or you know, some of you are, are determined to see your six-pack again, and I've got great news for you today. There is an app where you can take a photo and just and put it up on social media. That's what you want to do anyway, so you can just go ahead and do that. You're welcome. Um, but some of you have put down that you want to make more money or you want to get that promotion or this year you want to buy a new car or this year you want to find a wife. Some of you have been praying that for many, many years. Um, how about we begin to realize the truth of this scripture? Psalm 127 verse 1 simply says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Man, so many of us are anxious about our lives, struggling to fall asleep at night because we've got all these thoughts whirling around in our heads, so worried about our finances, so worried about our future, so, so focused on, on the lack that you feel. But what if we had, to, had the courage to put our faith in someone other than ourselves and to just trust that God is faithful? Do you know what faith does? It creates capacity. It creates capacity. The more you believe, the more you pray, the more that capacity will arrive in your life. Phil Smithist is, is one of the, of the guys that's on our board of directors here at Anchor Church, and, um, and he speaks into my life, into the life of our church often, and he sent me, um, you know, I, I spoke to him uh, via WhatsApp, just sent him a voice note. Um, he's usually in some other part of the world every other week, and so I send these voice notes so that he can get it in whatever time zone he is. And, um, and I sent him this voice note saying that we really want to see people activated. We want to see discipleship go to a new level. We want to raise up leaders this year. And we're thinking of a leadership collective and things that we'll talk more about next week at Vision Sunday, where we actually want to really uh, get down to, to training and equipping and making disciples who can go out and do the work of the ministry. And I was, I was speaking to Phil about this, and Phil sent me a message back, and he said, you know what I love about what you're saying? Is that because you have the faith for it, those people will come. Those people will come. Because you've, you've said, God, this year I want to create leaders, the leaders will arrive. God, this year we want to reach people we've never reached before as a church. Those people will all of a sudden, there'll be the capacity to reach them. We want to be the church we've never been able to be before. You'll All of a sudden the capacity will be there because you've started to trust God for it. What are you believing God for this year? What are you praying for this year? Rather than hoping that your marriage will get better, how many of you are trusting and praying about your marriage? And don't only pray for your spouse, pray for yourself too, okay? <laughs> so you're like, Lord, help my husband. He needs to change. How about we believe that 2019 will be the best year your marriage has ever had? Believe that this is the best year that your business will ever have, that your future, that your walk with God will ever have. And rather than just strategizing and planning and working it all out, figuring it all out in our own strength, we actually begin to trust God. I don't think we're going to get anywhere unless we trust Him first, unless we pray first. It's going to expand your capacity to receive. It's going to expand your belief in God. When the disciples were in the boat, and the great storm arrived, and, and they were fishermen, so if they're saying, listen, we're going to die, this is a proper storm, then they knew what they were talking about. And there was a time when, when, when uh, this, the waves were crashing over the deck of the boat, and Jesus was asleep. See, that scripture says that, that you're anxious, and you, you're running after things, and you're worried, and you're stressed out, but, but God gives sleep to his beloved. And Jesus is in the midst of the storm, asleep in the back of the boat, and when the disciples eventually wake him up and say, we're, gonna, we're about to die, we're about to perish, Jesus gets up and calms the storm and he turns around and he says, oh, you of little faith. You see, anxiety and stress is a faith issue. It's a capacity issue. And we need to enlarge our capacity to believe 
And how we can do that is through prayer. By praying, you enlarge that capacity. We've literally been given the antidote to fear and anxiety. It is no secret. We already know what it is. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, Jesus says, Do not, sorry, Paul writes, and he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious. It's there, and it's in Matthew 6, we'll look at it in a moment, but ultimately, here's another command. God commands us in Joshua, be strong, be courageous, do not fear, do not be dismayed. And now again in the New Testament, he says, do not be anxious. And again, we can ask God the question, how, how can you tell me that? How can you command me not to worry, not to fear? Isn't it human? Isn't it natural if we look at what's happening in our country and in our economy and in our neighboring countries and, 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 and in our lives and in, in all these things that we can look at? There's a storm raging. Isn't it natural for us to be afraid? How can the Scriptures command us not to be anxious? How can God tell us not to worry? And the answer is, he's given it to us there, is that we're supposed to make an exchange. There's an exchange that is supposed to happen where you take your anxiety and your concerns and your fears and your cares and you give them to God. Through prayer and supplication and petition, ultimately taking those concerns and saying, rather than trying to figure it out in my own strength, I'm going to ask God to act on my behalf. And we do it with thanksgiving. Why? Because we already know that He is faithful. We already know that He is going to do all that He has promised to do. And so we can cast our cares onto Him knowing that He cares for us. Give our burdens away. God, I don't have to worry about this anymore. It's in Your hands. There's rest in Jesus. There's rest in faith. And through prayer, we literally make the exchange. If you've got anxiety... Make the exchange. Trade it in. Trade it in. Trade in your, your, your fears and your anxiety for the peace of God that will guard your mind. It, it says that. You're anxious, you're worried, pray, and you'll receive peace. It's right there. No secret. Why don't we do it, church? Why don't we do it? It's a faith issue. Oh, you of little faith. Do we believe it? We still struggle with this because we lack faith. Now, this does not mean that praying, that we don't act and that we don't do what needs to be done, but we act in faith and not in fear. We act in faith and not from a place of fear. Matthew 6 is where Jesus mentions this, and he says, and I just highlighted a few pieces there from Matthew 6 and 25, 27, 30, and 33, but he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Again, Jesus says it straight up. Don't be anxious. Don't do it. Which of you, by being anxious, Jesus says, can add a single hour to his span of life? How's it going to help you to just be worried? He says it again. Oh, you of little faith. He says, don't you see how God takes the birds of the air that don't, that, you know, they don't work for it, they don't, you know, they don't have to uh, you know, show up at a nine-to-five and do five worship sessions and then a, a prayer and then a thing and then a thing. God just takes care of them. And how much more are you worth than those 
birds out there. He says, look at the, look at the grass of the field. That God adorns them with such beauty that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was arrayed as one of these. And yet the grass is here today and tomorrow it's thrown in the fire. It's gone. How much more worth is your life? So you have little faith. Do you think God does not care about you? Do you think he doesn't see you? Does he, do you think he doesn't want to help you? And then in 33 he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. We've heard this so many times. But church, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we have the courage to believe that that's true? It takes guts to not try and make it on your own. And to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. If you look after the birds of the air, how much more will you provide for me? And to have greater faith, and this is really what we need to believe. If we're going to have greater faith, we need to have a greater revelation of how faithful God is of how great His love is for us. He loves you. He cares for you. And if we knew that this God who loves us so much is real and answers prayer, how much more would we pray? James 4 verse 2. James is a very sobering book. But James 4 verse 2 simply says this. You do not have because you do not ask. You don't have because you're just not asking. God is ready to move on your behalf, but you're still trying to earn it in your own strength. What are the things that you have not yet asked God for, that you desire in your life, that you desire to see, that you believe that you're called to, but is not yours at this present moment? Just ask. Just begin to ask Him and trust in Him. I must be honest this morning and tell you that I too fall into this trap often, especially as somebody that has planted a church and is leading a church, I'm often strategizing and planning and training and building and doing. And you can ask my staff, I'm constantly trying to figure out things that we can do better and how we can improve and how we can take the next step. And all of those things are good and all of those things will produce some result. But we, I believe that we will not see the fullness of God's ability in our lives until we learn to ask. So before we start strategizing, before we start planning, before we start figuring out how we're going to build our business and, 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 and work out things in our lives, why don't we pray and ask God to bless us? Ask God to do what only He can do. I love what Francis Chan says on this subject. He says, if prayer isn't vital for your church, and he's speaking in the context of church here, but he says, if prayer isn't vital for your church, then your church isn't vital. This statement may be bold, but I believe it's true. If you can accomplish your church's mission without daily passionate prayer, then your mission is insufficient and your church is irrelevant. If what we're doing here is just a natural thing, it's just a bringing some people together on a Sunday morning so that we can feel good and feel encouraged, then our church is ultimately irrelevant. And the same is true for our lives. If you can accomplish your life's mission and achieve all your goals and dreams, and, and build the life that you desire without prayer, then you are chasing a thoroughly insignificant life. A life that will not have eternal impact. A life that will not make a difference in the lives of others. I believe that we are called to live bigger than that. To believe for more than that. And our dreams and our, the visions of our heart should be so grand that we have no other option than to throw ourselves before God, to throw ourselves on His mercy and says, Lord, if you do not do it, 
we will never be able to. That's the kind of faith that we should have as a church. The courage to pray. Why do you need courage to pray? Because we are believing for things bigger than what we can do. I pray every day that God will come here to Anchor Church and here in this city and here in this nation and do something that is bigger than me or any other pastor in this land. That he will come and do what only he can do in bringing a revival to people's hearts. How many of you should be praying for your spouse rather than wishing you had another one or praying for your church rather than criticizing your church or praying about your life rather than trying to fix your life? The moment you step beyond yourself is the moment you realize your need for prayer. If you're just praying about comfortable little things, oh God, just you know, bless all the people everywhere. You know, it's like my kids when they pray in the when they pray in the car, they're like, Lord, thank you for trees. Thanks for that bird. You know, thanks for that. Like that's awesome, right? But the moment you've come to the end of yourself, when the shark is in the water, when you're facing an impossible situation, when your dreams are so big that they scare you, how many of you know we will be driven to prayer? That's where we need to be where we go beyond ourselves and realize this truth. In John 3, verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. When we realize that, how much will we pray? And in that moment, you begin to experience his grace. I want to end by uh, sharing some of my journey with you around prayer. And, And I've been privileged that I was raised in a family that taught me to pray from a young age, taught me to, to trust in Jesus. And, and all of my family members, when my family got together, it was basically like a prayer and worship session. And uh, it would always end up that way, and we'd always pray together. And, and so I believed from a really, really young age that God was real and that God was with me and that I could communicate with Him and I could speak to Him and I could rely on Him. And I have so many miracles and things that God has done where He just revealed Himself to me from a very young age that I could tell you this morning, but I thought I would just share one or two stories. And, uh, and one that I wanted to, to share with you was when I was in grade one. I was seven years old, and uh, it was a big deal back then if you could get a merit badge. How many of you remember merit badges, right? We had merit badges, and, uh, and if you had done something really outstanding at school, you could get a merit badge, and you could put that merit badge on your jersey or on the collar of your shirt, and, um, and you could walk around proudly. And I remember if you were real gangster, I mean, if you went all the way and you were pretty much like a hero in the school, you had two merit badges at one time. That was like the, the next level. And uh, on the first occasion that I was awarded a merit badge, I proudly put it on my jersey, and I was so excited about it. But the, but the only thing you did not want to do with a merit badge is actually lose it, because then it's kind of like the opposite. You know, you've kind of like lost. You, it was a good thing, now it's a bad thing. And you had to go to the office and tell them that you'd lost it, and you had to pay two rand for a new one, right? Which was a lot of money back then. And so I, I had a merit badge on my jersey, and the next morning, I put my jersey on, seven years old, and that merit badge is gone. And I start looking throughout the whole house. I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking in my school bag, and I'm feeling, I know it sounds like a silly thing, but I'm feeling a genuine amount of panic here because I've lost this merit badge. And I thought to myself, maybe it's on the little patch of lawn outside our front gate where I got out of the car, and, um, and perhaps it's there. And so I get up, I go out 6.30 in the morning, and I start walking up and down this patch of grass, and I'm looking for this merit badge. And I literally, you know, I'm doing the chicken run method, but I'm, it's only one of me, um, but, um, but I'm still following it, and I'm walking up and down, covering every inch of the grass. I spend about 30 minutes doing that. It's almost time for us to leave for school, and, and I can't find it. And in a moment, I just stand still, 
seven years old. And I said, Lord, I've looked everywhere. I cannot find this merit badge. And I'm just asking you, if you could just show me where it is, I'd be so appreciative. I probably didn't use the word appreciative because I was seven, but <laughs> it would be really good, God. You know, and um, I turned around and I saw just glistening in the sun. I just saw something, walked over, and there was my merit badge, and I picked it up. Now, that sounds really silly, and that's only the beginning of the miracles, but as a seven-year-old, I realized I can pray, and I have a God who answers. I can pray, and I have a God who answers. And there are so many things that I began to pray for that I saw God answering again and again and again. And so last year, I actually, I, I play, before I injured my knee, I was playing in a touch rugby team, a league team, and, um, and I left my boots there and they got taken, which was um, silly. So, but it was also great because it meant I got to buy new ones. How many of you accidentally lose stuff so that you can go get the ones you want? And um, so for those of you that know me, and this drives my wife crazy, but when I don't just buy stuff. I research. I read reviews. I watch YouTube videos. I, I exchange again and again and again until I have the perfect thing and then I'm like set for life, all right? And so I did that when I bought these boots. This is the third pair. I bought two other pairs and took them back. I'm not 100% happy with these. Um, and, so, and so eventually I got these boots and I was like, these are the ones. They're the ones. They're ready. They're good. But they didn't give me the tool to, to tighten the studs on the bottom for some reason at the Nike store when I bought them. And so I went and played. And uh, I got home after my first game with these boots. And this is what I saw on the bottom of my boot. A stud was missing. And then I thought, you know what, no problem. I'll just hop online and I'll buy another stud. And um, turns out you cannot buy these anywhere in the world, all right? They're just like, you can maybe find in the U.S. on Amazon some companies that manufacture something that's similar, um, but you'll never find these again. You lose one and it's gone forever. And I just wasn't going to accept that. So, um, so I prayed about it. I'm like, God, I want to I wanna find that stud. And so I drove back to what is essentially five soccer fields laid out, an area that we were warming up, we were practicing, and then I ran probably a couple of kilometers during a 45-minute um, touch rugby game and, uh, and ran all over the field. And this is the, I went early the next morning before a staff meeting at Anchor Church. This is just after I dropped off my boys at school. And that is the general area where we played, all right? The stud is the size of that on the bottom. And um, it just seems crazy. So I think I start praying, and I start walking up and down, and there are people, there's a little cafe there, people running around, they think I'm nuts. They're like, what is this guy doing? And I'm literally walking around like this, praying, and saying, God, I know you can do this. And at one point, I had to leave because the meeting was going to start. I'd walked around again for maybe about uh, 30, 40 minutes, and I took that photo to actually send it to Lee to show her how crazy I was busy being. And after I took the photo, I looked down and just show that next photo. I don't know if you can see anything there, but... Right over there was the stud that I was on the grass. And uh, there's one more photo there that you can show. And it was in like soccer fields of space. I found the stud. Some of you girls are like, I'm still praying for my stud. I just, I want my stud. Where is he, Lord? In the grass. I know this sounds silly, but do you know that when you trust God, you don't just have to trust Him when you're facing a terminal illness or when you're facing a financial crisis 
or when something big is going on in your life, how many of you know that he is a constant companion and will answer even the smallest of prayers? You don't, there's no such thing as a wasted prayer. You, you don't save your prayers for the big moments. You practice on the small moments. Because I know that if God can help me find a stud, which is the odds of me finding it, on that morning, in that 30 minutes that I had before I had to leave, are staggering. And if God can lead me to that, what else can he do in my life? It's like David who stands before Goliath and he's like, well, he helped me overcome things in the past already. I've overcome the bear and the lion. Who's this? I know in whom I believe. And that's the kind of thing that, that the kind of faith that I believe God wants us to have. And I want to tell you one more story. Uh, my boy, Eli, when he was three years old, he loves reptiles and animals and all kinds of things. And when he was three years old, he asked for a snake. And if you've ever done this as a parent, you promise something in some future date because in your mind it feels like forever. So I said, when you're seven, we'll buy you a snake. So he just turned seven uh, because then it actually happens. And so we, we went ahead and we got him a snake, okay? And so this is a, a little, um, it actually looks a lot bigger there than it is. It's just a, a really small um, uh, corn snake, candied corn snake. Her name is Candy um, as a result. And, um, and Eli loves this snake. So he handles that that, I mean, he is just completely fearless. He, has, he doesn't have that part of him that is afraid of things. At the pet store, it was striking and biting because it's still not used to being handled. And uh, they told him it would maybe break the skin a little bit, but it's not venomous. And so before we could stop him, he put his hand in front of the snake and let the snake bite him so that he could see what it feels like. Um, I, don't, I don't care if it feels like, like somebody gently stroking my hand. I do not want to be bitten. I don't want to know what it feels like. But he doesn't have that. So he has the snake. And uh, in December... Um, he said to me, Dad, can we take the snake on holiday? They were driving down with my parents a few days before we did. And, um, and so I said, you can't take the snake on holiday. I'm not going to sit at the beach with the snake. Um, so let's just leave it here. But there was a tiny crack in the glass. And so he goes on holiday, and I come like two nights later just to check on the snake and find that the snake had gotten out of that, out of that crack. He's not, in, he's not in the cage. And we're looking everywhere. I mean, we're under, under the bed everywhere, in, in every little corner. I, I, I even, I watch YouTube videos on how to find a lost snake, literally. <laughs> and they're like, you have very little chance, but here's some things you might want to try. You know, it's like it's just gone and it can just curl up into the tiniest space. And so I had to tell my boy, the day after he arrives on holiday, hey boy, your snake is gone. I, I can't find it. And I, I, so I lock up the house. The window was open right where the snake was. So I thought it's probably outside. We're not going to find it. And uh, it's gone. And so I tell him, and I said, but we'll, we'll hope that he comes back. And I had heard stories of people who found reptiles like three years later. So I was like, maybe, you know. And um, we're back home. We still look everywhere. The snake's nowhere. It's gone. It, it's now a month later. A month later, the snake's been gone. Um, and and we, don't, we don't know where it is. And so one night, um, at school started again. It was just a week or two ago, uh, maybe a week ago. And I'm... I'm you know, putting Eli to bed, and I pray with him as I always do, and I walk out the room, and as I walk out the room, I think to myself, should I pray with him that the snake will come home? Like, who, who prays for that? Like, bring the snakes, Lord. Um, but I think to myself, you know, for a child, it's such a risk, because now I'm creating expectation with him, and what if that just disappoints him more? But then I realize something bigger. We're not afraid to take a chance on the faithfulness of God. We're not afraid to risk that God might be faithful and that, and, and that we should put it out there 
Who cares if it doesn't turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out? Let's trust God anyways. And so I turn back. I go back into his room, and I say, let's pray that God brings Candy home. And, uh, and we pray. We say, Lord, please bring Candy home. We'd love to have her here again, and just show us where she is. And so the next day, um, there's a beautiful sunset, and I'm lying on the bed with, with Leo, and, and the boys are in the house, and Lee goes outside to go and just, like she normally does, go and look at the sunset and take a photo of the sunset. And, uh, she run, and the next thing, she's running into the house. She's like, Adrian, come quickly. And I run outside, and I just want to show you this picture of the lawn. I don't know if you can see anything there on the lawn, but let's show the next one. Right over there. And I don't know, if you've lost something in some form of a lawn, phone me, okay, because I can find it. (laughs) And I got a close-up. The snake wasn't very happy, but there it was. But you know what happened? All these things sound like such silly things. But my boy turned to me, and he said, Dad, isn't it amazing how God answers prayers? We prayed and the next day, it's been gone for a month. And on the lawn there, it could have gone anywhere. It could have been anywhere. But at that exact moment, God sent Lee outside and we found it. Because we asked. Because we asked. What have we missed out on? Because we haven't asked. As a church, let's develop the courage to ask. The courage to pray and believe that even in the smallest of things, to the greatest of things, to God it's all the same, to believe that God can do the miraculous. I want to encourage you this morning to turn your list of resolutions into a prayer list, into a prayer list, and see how God gives you peace, how he makes your, your sleep to be sweet and unveils the miraculous in your everyday life. It should be commonplace for us as Christians. The the miraculous shouldn't surprise us. It should be our normal, everyday lives because we trust in a God who is greater than all, who can do the impossible, and who can show up in miraculous ways to remind us of His goodness. Amen? How many of you are going to join me this year in asking, praying, believing, and trusting like never before? If we make that our goal, I promise you, we will have a year like we've never, ever had in the history of our lives. And I believe that God is going to do it. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning.